Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. This week is part one of a two-part episode to highlight the work of one of our programs. Angie Estrellas of Esperanza Shelter joins us to talk about her program. Hi Angie, thank you so much for joining me today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and a little bit about your program? Sure, of course. First, thank you, Rochelle, for inviting me. And this is a great new feature that you have as our membership coordinator. So really appreciate it. My name is Angie Estrellas. I'm the executive director for Esperanza Shelter. I am a New Mexican, originally from Roswell, but I've been in Santa Fe since 94. So now more than than half my life up north. And uh, I've been the director for Esperanza for five years. And we've really grown from very humble beginnings. This is our 46th year, and it started two women, Ruby Scarborough and Mary Justice, started the whole program with just a little house on the north side of Santa Fe, a couple rooms, and a few beds. So now we're a full-service agency with wraparound care. We have our residential services, which include emergency shelter, the crisis line, a 24-7, of course, transitional housing. We also have a court advocate at the shelter, as well as an adult therapist with specialty in substance abuse. We have a child life skills coordinator. We will soon be hiring a child therapist for the shelter. We also have a community navigator, a transitional housing coordinator, and just a real robust level of services when somebody has to enter emergency shelter all the way through, you know, transitional housing and then finding permanent housing for them. At any time, they can also enter groups on our non-residential side, and we have groups for survivors. And we also have groups for offenders. That's our Path to Peace program. One interesting thing that we do is the survivor services are no cost, but the Path to Peace programs, uh, the offenders need to pay a fee as a way to take accountability for their actions. And all of the fees go into our Hope and Comfort Fund which are emergency funds for survivors. So it's a small way for them to make repatriations and support survivors in their recovery. We also have a court advocate on the non-residential side with an office at First Judicial Court. We recently expanded services to include community navigation. We also recently opened an aftercare group. And that's our first in-person group since COVID. So that's exciting. And uh, it actually just started this last Thursday. And the women were really, really excited about the group. I think there's 13 who signed up immediately for it. And that'll be a combination of art, movement, meditation, life skills like financial and budget combined with support. So it's, I think, going to go very well. 
We also have our children's program, which has a therapist that does child adolescent therapy, as well as family therapy and parenting classes. And then we have a community outreach prevention coordinator that does all of our outreach and DV 101, healthy relationships for the community, businesses, general people who want to sign up for those Zoom workshops. That was a lot of information, but you can see how we moved from just a few beds to really a full service agency. And we're very proud, very proud of what we do here at Esperanza. What is some of the work that you are most proud of? Well, I've led the organization for five years and it, you know, it was in a bit of disarray. I have to be honest. So there was five people at the shelter. There was, there, it was not very client centered. I brought trauma informed care model to the agency. I've built up a budget that's now on the black. I've brought together a leadership team that I can really rely on to run departments. We just had our most successful annual appeal ever. And that was led by Marcos Zubia, our development director. We had a professional HR director that I hired two years ago, and she really transformed and professionalized the organization, bringing in board-adopted policies, the correct forms, (laughs) cleaning up all the personnel files. So really, my goals have been kind of threefold, I would say. One is just to clean things up organizationally and have them operating with policies, operating safely, taking care of staff as well as clients through a trauma-informed model, you know, building a leadership team that where everybody's individual expertise is really what runs the agencies so I can focus on big picture, the 30,000-foot view, so to speak, of moving the agency forward, creating fiscal stability The first year I was here is a bit of an apology. There had been a lot of funding lost. And so I really worked hard on explaining my leadership and how we would be making changes. And I've heard nothing but positive feedback from all of our grantors. We regained funders that we had lost. We cleaned up situations that needed to be cleaned up. We now operate in the black. We have a cash reserve, <laughs> so there's there's been really dramatic changes in five years, and of course, it hasn't just been me. You know, again, the leadership team and then all our direct service staff work so hard just to make Esperanza thrive and offer the best high quality services that we can. How is your program different from other programs in the state? That's a great question. I've been pondering that this morning. I th- you know, I, I really respect you know, all of my colleagues and all the domestic violence shelters. And I think each of us probably offers a unique set of special programs or services. So that we have a lot of similarities. I would say um, one thing that probably stands out is the transitional housing program that was born out of COVID. So I think one thing we are good at is pivoting. You know, we had no interruption to services and then finding ways to expand services during this pandemic and this lockdown because we saw a need. 
affordable housing is really hard to come by in Santa Fe. And statistically, the housing independence and financial independence, as you know, are the you know two protective factors that keep a woman from returning to her abuser. So us being able to find funding so quickly, really create a housing program, you know, also very quickly. And it's not HUD funded. This is privately funded. And it's still running very strong today. We have a multi-year commitment. And our next step is to look for a property that we could own with apartment units that would still offer the transitional housing, but versus us, you know, renting apartment units. And I think the other thing that we do is, you know, our hope and comfort fund is basically all those important items that, you know, survivors, victims of of domestic violence, they flee with just either nothing or very limited resources. So this fund, we really invest in, we do matching funds. Of course, the the fees from our batter intervention program go into it and then some private donations. But that line item is $25,000 for the year. So those are, you know, clothes, emergency cell phones, car repairs, safety needs, replacing documents, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But it's really to give the stability to the clients and to help them rebuild those tangible logistical things that you need to operate a life smoothly and safely. But we do go a step further. You know, we we often will pay for transport, food, gas cards, emergency phones to people who need to get to a different shelter in the state. You know, we will buy bus tickets for somebody. They don't need to stay in our shelter services, but they need to get to family in another state. So we also use our fund and go, I think, above and beyond to help survivors, even if they don't enter our services. You know, I would add something I didn't think to say before. We have an amazing volunteer and business partnership, Debbie Damaris Interior Design. She actually collects donations through all her contacts a very good quality furniture, and she completely furnishes our transitional housing apartments. And if somebody is moving into permanent housing and has nothing, we will either help furnish the the new housing for them or allow them to take all the furniture that they've been using in the transitional housing apartment, and then Debbie will refurnish it. And we have a couple of moving companies that do, you know, discounted moving for us. And because she's an interior designer, there's also a bit, you know, there's coziness to it. There's like, you know, the the accents and the colors, like it's it's not just like this dorm room kind of furnished feel, right? She really makes it a home, which I I, I think is also really special and it's in a way we go above and beyond. Because that's a lot to furnish a whole house and for her to do it continuously for us. And she's so committed to our organization. We're so grateful for her. Well, I'm so glad that you brought her up. She was actually one of our community heroes. You nominated her and we were so excited to honor her this year. So that's so, I'm so glad you brought her up. I mean, there's physical, emotional safety, but having a 
safe environment that, you know, speaks to you and offers the physical shelter, <laughs> you know, it, it really helps ground people. It helps them, gives them a platform to work through trauma and, you know, all the recovery that they have to do just from, you know, escaping the violence and, and processing the, the trauma and then creating a life that's violence free. So I think it's so important. And I think sometimes people don't necessarily think about things like having your own bank account, getting your birth certificate because he ripped it up in front of you as a way to control. Like there's so many logistical pieces that somebody needs to just put their life back together in addition to healing from the the trauma. How do you feel like your program is growing or innovating? Well, there's, you know, Shauna Adal, who used to work at the coalition. She's our clinical director. She came on first as an assistant director at the shelter and is now our clinical director, which is really exciting. And she oversees the non-residential team. And she's bringing some great innovation to the non-residential side. And I'm glad that they now have strong leadership um, because those services are so important. She was the one that is initiating this aftercare program, has started to initiate the community navigation. The need she's addressing there is they don't need shelter and they don't want to commit to a survivor group, but they still need community navigation. And so we'll have the opportunity to do some specific case management with folks and really meet their needs versus trying to say like the only way to get these services would be to sign up for our groups, right? That's not very trauma-informed. We want to meet people where they're at and what they need. And then she's also looking at creating groups for women who use force. It's a really specialized training. She had the domestic violence advocates on that team attend that training and also looking at a program for teens, young men who have participated in dating violence. So sometimes what happens, right, is you have you have a small group of people who need these services. So you need to figure out ways to address it or at least start thinking about it. You know, even if you don't have enough teens for a group, what would this look like and how could we have an open group? The other thing they're doing within that team is they're going to do a more life skills oriented group for women survivors. So not your typical curriculum. This will be financial independence, employment, resumes, budgeting, you know, nutrition, just all the different life skills that somebody needs for just daily living um, to, to, to help, you know, organize their life in a way that just makes things, you know, run smoother, stress management, parenting. I'm pretty excited about that. I also thought that was a great idea. Another way we're trying to innovate is I'm currently writing a grant to hire an in-house attorney. So I hope we get this grant because that is a huge need. Over 95% of the offenders in these court cases have attorneys. Those attorneys attack the character of our survivors and it's traumatizing. And just as you know, our court advocates can't sit with them up at tables. We can just be in the audience silently supporting 
But what a difference it would make for them to have a strong attorney who understands the law and can advocate and speak for the client and advise them. I think it would just be such a game changer for so many of the women who need, you know, divorce, child custody, there's criminal cases, getting orders of protection made permanent and have them last for years versus like six months or a year, that type of thing. And in writing this grant, I'm gathering information from our court advocates and how often the women we work with feel shamed by the judge or, you know, talked down to or see them being more cordial to the uh, opposing attorney and the isolation that you would feel and the fear, you know, where the offender is just a table away. And, you know, we witness them using body language and looks and, you know, as a way to intimidate, even though they're not saying a word. So an attorney that can just shield, right, Mm -hmm. Um, them from those kinds of really abusive tactics. Yeah, I, I really hope we get this grant. It's a it's a need I identified about three years ago, and I've written other grants that haven't been successful, but I, I'm hoping that this is the one that, that makes it happen. Well, I really hope so, too. <laughs> we want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.